0: Dead Rock Stars, with Mick Wall
1: and Joel McIver. Oh, I
2: love that lady's voice. Here we are again. Welcome, everyone. It, is this
1: now something you're going to say every time? I wasn't going to do it every time. Just the last couple yeah, of times? Yeah, no?
2: why It's a sexy voice.
1: Okay, carry on. Welcome everyone to another. (laughs) I I, I actually feel violated at this point. I feel I'm now part of me too because I'm in a room Mm. with a big, ugly dude Mm. popping his cherry. Just imagine the beard tickle. I mean, I admittedly, I'm young and lithe, so I can see why you might go there, but please. Stop looking at Ian the producer. You and Ian the producer, you're his bitch. You're Ian's bitch. (laughs) Bitch. Bitch. Bitch Fuck that guy. Can we do it on Easy e Can you just get on with it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone. And here we go again for another epic episode of Dead Rockstars. My name's Joel McIver and my dear friend Mick Wall is here. And today, who are we talking about,
1: Mick? We're going to be talking about the one and only jimmy hendrix now that is a large subject is it not it is it is i, I you know let's let's be let's put our cards on the table we're not going to cover it in one as you how, put it as you? you put it joel episode no, of this podcast <laughs> in one fell swoop. Uh, yeah uh, but we're going to give our own impressionistic yeah view take yeah yeah now let me start okay oh, for one, let me start mm, mm. straight off the bat yeah you know my generation definitely could well be different for yours but my whole life, yeah. you say, who is, in your opinion, the greatest guitarist of all time? Yes. Everybody of my generation, with the exception of Jimmy Page, because mm-hmm. Jimmy Page says he never saw Jimi Hendrix play live. Yeah. <gasps> Yaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody says Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Now, Joe Bonamassa actually told me that he's more of a fan of Eric Clapton. Right. Then he is Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Not on a technical level because I don't play guitar, but I get it in terms of that's his own personal. Yeah. I don't think it means he thinks Clapton is the greater guitarist, mm. or maybe mm, it does. Right. But mm. you see where I'm going with this. So I'm going to ask you, in all honesty, mm. and, and you actually play an instrument, don't mm. you? Mm. And the guitar. Mm. Um, <laughs> is Hendrix the greatest it's rock guitarist of all time?
2: I spoke to Jack Bruce about this. He played with both guys. I said, come on, Jack, you know, in your opinion, as an expert virtuoso on your instrument, who was the greatest player? And he said something which makes total sense, actually, which is that Eric was the technical master. He had the actual techniques of playing much further uh, evolved and better. You know, Hendrix was this firebrand. It didn't matter what his instrument was. It so happened that he chose to play the guitar. So the guitar was a total expression of his personality. Yes, he used a lot of simple pentatonic scales. Right. So he
1: wasn't what we would call. We Uh, talked in earlier. you've, You've lost me. Pentatonics. No, no problem. It's just yeah. a simple
2: five-note scale that people use in blues. You know, it's not it's not a complex scale, it's where you start and you you, you can make great music with pentatonics. You know, your friend Joe Bonamassa would tell you that. But it's not a super complex approach
1: to, to solos. Yeah. Listen. But this makes st- sense what I'm saying. St- st- right? Steve yeah. Vai is yeah. super yeah. sexy, complicated. A perfect example. Yeah. But he didn't write Purple Haze. Right. So So what I'm trying to say to you it's is technique over artistry. Are you talking is that how we judge these guys on technique? Because no. if the guitar playing is an expression of their true character then i would venture to say that eric is a pretty boring guitar player whereas hendrix has to be the most exciting evocative sexual dynamic psychedelic funk Mm. guitar god he didn't have to think
2: about it he was it think about the excitement that surrounds hendrix's playing course clapton doesn't measure up but if you and i had been at the Flamingo Club in 1965 when he was playing with John Mayall. Perhaps it would have been different. You know, the walls are sweating. You know, people are going crazy. It's a hundred degrees. Clapton is there playing stuff that has not been played before. So maybe but that's where he, his excitement but comes he in. Is he
1: playing it with his teeth? No, he isn't. When or behind Hendrix. his
2: back. Look, oh, 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 no, it's old, oh! It's an old, it's an old blues oh, trick. You pretend, oh, tricks of the trade. You pretend to be doing it with your teeth when you're actually. Are you
1: saying it? Hendrix was miming? Uh, yeah, he didn't play it with his teeth. This
2: is a well-known old blues trick. He did play behind his head, though, that's for sure. But what you can do when you've got a heavily distorted guitar sound is you can sort of do a hammer-on with one hand. You don't actually have to pick. You can sort of go, and it sounds like you're playing.
1: But, oh, but so, wanna, so you could just do that. Well,
2: You could, frankly. No, but I you, couldn't. You, no, no. To, to get back to the core point, oh, yeah. you've got Eric Clapton, this sort of polite, chap playing these wonderful subtle blues licks. No I mean some of the early stuff is. Look at Cream man, there's nothing sedate about Cream. And but no matter what happened later on with the Royal Albert Hall and all that stuff eh. which
1: I know you're thinking of, right? No, no, I'm thinking of Sunshine of Your Love. <laughs> yeah, a song. It's a wonderful song. <laughs> <laughs> no but <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing to
2: no, That's a great <laughs> song man. <laughs> <laughs> Hendrix on the other hand was this firebrand, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Are you going to keep doing that? Uh, it's getting uh, it on. Yeah
1: different styles.
2: Chalk and cheese. Godhead School Teacher. Slow hand. Slow hand. There you go. Do you know the solo in Sunshine of Your Love? The first line is the melody from Blue Moon. It goes Does that explain I wondered why it was so boring. The idea was to contrast yeah, sun yeah. with moon. The really.
1: first line of Hendrix's go. solo go on, on. It. from Purple Haze was formed from the tears of an angel hey, is it. while roasting in the hell of desire, yeah, yeah. while tripping on a hydra-headed god-devil uh, hybrid. I've always thought this, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 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 while shagging, <clears throat> shagging... The Shaggy for America, Satan. right? Yes. Look. yes. So, okay. uh, no, perfect expression so of the man. Simple yes or no. Is Hendrix the greatest guitarist ever? Um, yeah, I'm just going to say yeah. Okay. Where else does it start and finish? Because all kidding aside, I don't know. No,
2: but this is not about technique. So you do know. This is about the artistry and the songs and the presence and the performance. Yeah, and and let's not forget, he was playing it upside down. Yeah, he was. But, you know, with the wrong hair, He was among the first to use a heavily distorted guitar tone, that kind of... While tripping
1: on Owsley Acid.
2: Let's not forget
1: that. The real stuff. The real stuff.
2: Tell me, Owsley
1: Acid was your special strong laboratory-produced acid, right? If you talk to connoisseurs mm. of the lysergic... they will tell you that there hasn't actually been any real acid since the Owsley acid of the 60s. This was the legal stuff, right? It was still legal, and therefore you were able to perfect the formula. There was no kind of dash to get it done and flog it. It was done purely for altruistic purposes, which was to tune in, turn on, and put on that Hendrix album and never come back. But it did become illegal, and of course, like all these things, it becomes corrupted, mm. pirated. Diluted. Fucked. Mm. Can we say fucked? If you in an Australian accent,
2: yeah. Fucked! I'm fucked, right? <laughs> or As I like it in LA. Fuck you! No, dude. Fuck like, that guy! It's like totally fucked. It's like, fuck that acid! It's interesting about acid, I, I have no interest in it ingesting the stuff, but what a huge psychosocial experiment that must have been for that you know, decade or or two of people who took it on a regular basis.
1: And I'll tell you what else, in in terms of Hendrix's music, I mean, Lemmy, of course, was Jimmy's roadie for a brief period. And Lemmy told me that his main job, this is in the days when I think there were two roadies and Lemmy was one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the days of package tours where your overhead is very low, (laughs) one guitar and a bloke to help you drive the car, you know. Mm -hmm. He said um, his main job for Jimmy was to score acid every day. Yeah. He said he would uh score four tabs for Jimmy and one for himself. God. And they just do them every day. Now the thing with acid is is that the more you take it's accumulative. Mm. So mm, mm. if you were to take four tabs of owlsley acid right now mm, mm. I fear we would never I su- might not survive. I think you would in an evolutionary sense you would <clears throat> metamorphose right, I like, that. like Kafka's mm. big insect right, thing. Right, brilliant, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah whereas Jimmy it was probably just a mild buzz you know all right No, more than a mild buzz and and the thing is his music truly yeah. did reflect that and of course the era of stereo had just come in yeah, so you get right. what would now be considered incredibly cliché and corny that wow wah, wah, from speaker to speaker you know in that speaker and that speaker and don't forget, if I had four tracks to record quad. On, Yeah, that was considered... Ah, sorry, right, yeah, not quad, but not, a four-track recorder. Yeah, this yeah. is pre-quad. Mm. This, is, <laughs> this is pre-stereo, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the minute they get stereo, they're doing what any kid would do in a toy shop and using uh, mm. every effect, which in you know, those literally, was just, you hear it in that speaker, then you hear it in that speaker. Panning from left to right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These days, you'd be going, what the fuck?
0: Dead Rock Stars. Memento Mori from Mementus Mortals.
1: I guess you can't
2: discuss Hendrix without discussing the, the era, right? I and mean, we've done this a few times in, in various podcasts, but it's endlessly fascinating. Let's quickly look at his life before he came over here and exploded yep. onto the scene. And we can use that expression with <laughs> Hendrix, I think. I always love the stories about those guys, Clapton and Townsend and the rest on me, saying, yeah. Oh, yeah, we went and saw this bloke. Uh, the speakeasy or whatever, you, you know, it was a Scot- wasn't the speaker, the was Scotch it? of Saint St. James. James, right? Yeah, yeah, and they all walked out going, "Oh fuck, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. really need to go and do something slightly different here." S- anyway, s- so that's squeaky, the point. We squeaky all.
1: bum time, and it wasn't just uh, the guitar. Mm. You know, I mean, you mentioned Clapton. I mean, all kidding aside, supreme guitarist. Mm. But look at Clapton on stage. I mean, barely moved a muscle yeah, in those days. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Beck, oh, he, he pratted mm. around a bit. Mm. Townsend smashed his guitar, yeah, mm. but. Mm. God bless P, ugly guy, big nose mm. and mainly bar chords. Right. And Hendrix comes on, <laughs> this black cat yeah making his bones. Astounding looking black. Incredibly good looking. Mm, mm, mm. Truly far out. Yeah. And those words meant something. Yeah. And he's playing the guitar upside down. Mm. With his eyes closed and his brain clearly fizzing on some other planet. And it's a wall of distorted sound as well, right? It's, it's not your polite little blues tones. Plus every woman in the place is literally melting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no women in there talking about pentampic ambiting four called triplets. <laughs> Or I say, is that a version of Sleepy John (laughs) Estes' early blues classic from 42 brought up to contemporary standards? They're going, I want to fuck that guy! Yeah, right, right, right. Fuck me! (laughs) We will have babies and go to Mars! (laughs) On (laughs)
2: acid. Yeah. All right, cool. So we will come to this point. Yeah. Right then, uh, so uh, as we know, he was born in 1942 in Seattle, am I right? Seattle?
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Had a slightly juvenile lifestyle as a teenager, which. Had led a slightly
1: in... juvenile lifestyle. Yeah, I probably had an adolescence at some you know, well, point. I meant yeah. to say it was a juvenile, delinquent, delinquent lifestyle, and I just missed out the word delinquent. Well, I mean, he came from a. Yet again, right. like so many of our great uh, dead rock stars, yeah. came from a, what these days would be considered a broken home, mm, mm. a dysfunctional background. But as I always, always add at this point, so did so many other people. Mm -hmm. They didn't turn into what we're going to say is probably the greatest guitarist of all time. His father was in the army, went off in the Second World War, didn't come back, Mm. then did. Mm. His mother had a pretty checkered personal history in terms Mm. of how to put food on the table. Yeah very kind of typical for the times mm, mm, mm. but you get this guy who becomes a as so many of them do this kind of prodigy right or prodigy i should say on mm, guitar mm. goes into the us army now i don't know this off the top of my head but it was like and it, it isn't this okay so yeah. don't mail going you get your facts wrong you know, it was like the 5th airborne you know the 7th airborne i think it might it's something airborne isn't it something, yeah, yeah. definitely something <laughs> airborne <laughs> Um, I once interviewed, uh, I think it was Buddy Cox who was in the... uh, Billy Cox, I think. Sorry, Billy Cox, of course, Buddy, Miles, Billy Cox. That's where he met Jimmy, at an Air Force base. Yeah. And he met him in that way, you can just imagine, he said, I could hear this cat playing guitar. Right, right. Where's that coming from? He Mm. said, and it was Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So he got his bass, and according to Billy, he Mm. says a lot of the stuff that we now remember Hendrix for, a lot of those early tunes... He was playing back then, but that was not
2: what he played as a career guitar player for the first four years. No, of his life. Yeah. no, no,
1: no. I mean, that's like saying uh, you were a music journalist on a magazine for mm. five years and mm. then you wrote a novel. Sure, you know. I mean, he's yeah. trying to earn money. Yeah. Um, so what did he do as a as a session guy? He played with anybody that would pay him. Mm. So most famously, people like the Isley Brothers, right? People like Little Richard. <laughs> You know, if you go on YouTube and and look up some of these clips... These days, of course, they'll come up with the original yeah. black and white clip and they'll put yeah. a white circle. He's in the chorus line. Yeah. You know, some of these bands would have, like, four guitarists yeah. and three saxophones, yeah. and yeah. there he is in his great haircut, his suit. Mm. But that grin, mm. that <laughs> great shit-eating grin mm. of mm. his... Was he in New York at this point? I think he played all over right, the United right, States. Right, right. The Chitlin Circuit, they yeah, called it. of course. Down in the south, uh, segregation...
2: Was he paying his bills then as a respected guitar player?
1: You know, He was paying his bills, not as a no, respected just guitar yeah, player. Yeah, he another just another schlub. A schmo, mm. I think Ernie Isley was very influential on him. Ernie Isley, wonderful, brilliant yeah. guitar player. Yeah. But essentially, you know, don't get in the way of the star of the show. I mean, Little yeah. Richard wasn't about to say, now, check mm. out the guitarist. Mm, mm, mm. If Hendrix had broken stride and, and tried to steal some of that spotlight... Yeah. I mean, He wouldn't be doing any more gigs after that night. But he ends up on his travels back in New York, which in those days was the absolute epicentre of
2: the music business in America. It's the historical place that I would love to have been at most, you know, never mind the West Coast. I would love to have been in Greenwich Village when all that was kicking
1: off. With Dylan, you know, and the rest of them. Absolutely. The the folk folk scene, Mm. what we now consider the early sort of underground Mm. punk scene, whatever. Put a date on this, oh uh, 65 right and it's around this time he he makes infamously i'm going to say he he records some tracks with Curtis Knight mm. who then later puts out when hendrix becomes a big star puts yeah. out an album you know Curtis Knight and Jimi Hendrix
0: <laughs> Curtis that,
1: Knight was a soul singer or he was a a, a good singer he mm. was on the circuit and mm. j- jimmy was paid the going rate to yeah. come in and play but he had to sign a bit of paper which effectively worked as a contract and was presented to Jimmy as such after he became a star, and part of the get-out was that they allowed Curtis Knight to put out his album with yeah. Jimmy's name plastered all over it. And then Curtis Knight spent the rest of his life telling Jimmy Hendrix stories, including a book. Yeah. But that's par for the course. This jobbing musician who is not remotely famous still is par for the he's course. He's just this exactly, mm. exactly. The fateful night happens right, uh, at Cafe Wire in New York yeah. when a young lady named Linda Keith watches him play and like all young ladies that watched Jimi Hendrix play, <laughs> she literally just, her mind was expanded. Was he playing bivou- the, the sort of fiery stuff that we, he became famous for? I imagine so. I mean, I wasn't there, but he wasn't that he was in a band. He just got up and, I mean, it was a Café Wies, these sorts of places where at two in the morning, jobbing musicians would just come in and get up and do a bit, you know. But A, of course, he's amazing looking. B, Mm. he's left hand and he's incredibly far out guitarist. Linda Keith at that time was uh, the girlfriend of Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. Wow. It's weird to think of now when we think of Big Keith, the yeah. bad guy, but very insecure and paranoid about Linda, worried that she would go off and get off with other guys. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, her and Jimmy... Guess what happened, ...sparks flew. Um, and she tried to just persuade whoever was to hand to mm. come and see this amazing mm. guy. Mm. And the guy that she manages to twist the arm of is Chaz Chandler, right. who until very recently had been the bassist in The Animals. Yes who'd been big in America with House of the Rising Sun, had toured, Eric Burden had gone on and had a great career in America. Yeah. But Chaz, by this point, has left the group. He's had enough of the dreadful touring conditions you had in those days. Mm. Mm. The animals are kind of past their peak. Eric's career is taking off. Mm. And Chaz, to cut a long story short, sees Jimmy as his ticket yeah. into another career, mm. which is management. Through Chaz, Jimmy is brought to London. All right. He uh, literally turns up with a guitar, comes in, and I think that night, that very night, Mm. because everybody knows Chaz, and London, the music business, is tiny in those days.
2: Does Chaz deserve all the credit then for Jimmy's... Entree
1: onto, well, the, onto well, the scene. You could say Linda Keith does. Mm, yeah. Right. You could say if Jimi Hendrix wasn't Jimi Hendrix, no one would have given a shit anyway. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We all need a helping hand. Mm, you know, this mm, is a recurring mm. theme. Luck has to come into it. Happenstance. Yeah. But if Jimmy couldn't play the way he played yes no one would have paid any attention it was just one of those weird anomalies right. in, that in his own country yeah. no one gave it stuff i mean in fairness you know a uh, young black guy plays amazing guitar yeah every town in america has about 10 of those mm, mm, you know this mm. this was not uh particularly extraordinary we're also talking 65 it's not virtuoso rock no. at this point no. so comes to london and literally blows everybody's mind, so the word had got out through Charles Chandler and his people.: Well, that it this wasn't, was the it, man it, to see. It, it, it wasn't even so much. That. He just turned up. <laughs> you know, he just turned up at club and said, "Do you mind if he gets up and does a couple of numbers with you?" Okay, yeah, he Can did he,
2: that with Mayall, all I know at the Flamingo. Yeah. Could you mind if he gets up and has a blow? Can you sit in? Yeah,
1: can he, exactly. Well, that was the phrase, wasn't it? And they'd be like, you know, John Mayall would be... Eh, ooh, ooh, well, he'd be e- doing some old blues number, wouldn't he? Yeah, from, yeah. frankly, yeah, the du- 40s or something. Yeah, you know? Dusty Sherlock right, right. and his many <laughs> merry men. <laughs> it's many his, lemons. Something he did on the lemon his, farm his in Mississippi. Squeezed in lemon. 1923. And we're going to amp it up for you. <laughs> 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 Do you mind if Jimmy uh, has a blow? Sure. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> Every woman in the place. Oh, my word. I want to fuck him. (laughs) Every man, let's be fair. I think it's very telling that Jimmy Page insists to this day he never saw Hendrix play. Why is it telling? Well, because every other major guitarist, all his best friends like Eric, Jeff Beck, who he was in a group with at the time, you know, John Lennon. Yeah, you know. right, right. Every guitarist in Britain yeah. knew about Jimi Hendrix within three seconds flat. I saw Joe Satriani, must have been 87, I think, when Surfing the Alien yeah. came out. Um, you remember it, don't you, Joel? I was there. I was there. Were you there earlier? Really? I yeah, was oh, there. Yeah. yeah, I was there. No. Okay, I was there. I think I was the only guy there that couldn't play guitar. I didn't know anybody had ever heard of him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got to the marquee and the queue went from the front door of the marquee. All the way up Walder Street, all the way down Oxford Street. And I, I thought Joe Satriani clearly isn't playing tonight. Yeah. Led Zeppelin have reformed, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I swear to God, Joel, every fucking guitarist that you could name in the scene in those days was mm. at that Suck. show. Right. This is Joe Satriani. God bless him. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Are you telling me Jimmy Page and go? Oh yeah, I, I think I've heard of him. I. <laughs> I might pop to the Scotch of St. James or perhaps the speakeasy. or mm-hmm. Jimmy, would you like to come and see Hendry? Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think there's much to learn there. He was so blown away. Mm-hmm. And because of the guy he is where he just will never admit. Jimmy's the great denier. You know, he still says he's never read my book. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Jimmy still denies that he ever had any trouble with, you know, magic and drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Jimmy, this is how he operates. This is his modus operandi. I just think it's really interesting that, you know, nearly 50 years after Hendrix's death, yeah. Jimmy Page can't say he actually, I saw him. He was mm. great. I wonder if Blackmore saw him. Oh, of course he did. That's initial point. Yeah. yeah. Joel, yeah. it's like saying, I wonder if they ever heard Bob Dylan mm. sing. Okay. Do you think they'd heard of the Beatles? Mm, the Beatles. I mean, there you go. Yeah. Of course they fucking did. All right. So this thing happens. Yes. and it Explodes um, onto the scene. And <laughs> Chaz uh, gets him in to uh, do a single. No, we had the experience formed at this point? Yes. I mean, but they were formed, formed. These two guys were just hired on to play at the session. Noel Redding, Mitch Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, Chaz put this together, right? Well, they had a sort of open audition. I mean, okay, no, right, Noel right. Redding was a guitarist. Yeah who couldn't, couldn't get a gig. So they said, look, mm-hmm. because he had an Afro haircut, yeah. that was his entree into the experience. Not because he was a good what, bass at, player. At first. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, no, I, I know. He was a white man with an Afro. Hendrix yeah. I hadn't seen that before. Right, right. So, OK, well, we don't need a guitarist. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. But how about bass? Yeah. Uh, Mitch Mitchell, fantastically percussive player. Him and Ainsley Dunbar... Kind of ruled the roost. Ainsley Dunbar always claimed that he was in the frame for the gig as well.
2: I'm going to say slightly average musicians, the experience, apart from Jimmy. None other than renowned humanitarian and warm hearted chap uh, Ginger Baker made this point. He
1: said that Ginger uh, Baker slags off everybody.
2: He does, but the context here is that you had these two trios, did
1: you not? Cream and the Experience. And let me guess Mitch Mitchell wasn't as good as Ginger. Wow. No, but that's not an outrageous claim to make because Ginger's one of the greats. Doesn't mean Mitch Mitchell wasn't one of the greats. No, no, I'm just saying he was a perfectly decent drummer. We've had this conversation about Lars Ulrich, haven't we? Yeah, Perfectly decent No, drummer. no, perfectly no, decent Hang drum. on, hang on. We can talk Ginger Baker. We can talk Mitch Mitchell. I don't think we can throw Lars Ulrich in. <laughs> Let's be fair. No, no, no. Yeah. I, qu- I quite agree. Yeah. Anyway, the point being that this,
2: uh, it was an interesting scenario that, that came up a few years later. You had these two power trios. Actually, I, there was some interesting statistic. All of the um, experience died before any of Queen did. Why did it interest me? I don't know.
1: It just did. Is it because you're a nerd? Um, you were probably sitting at home listening to Greg Howe. Great guitar player. Thinking, thinking of the greats he, of the he guitar. He was at the Speakeasy.
2: No, he wasn't. He wasn't
1: born. All right, good. <laughs> no one even knows who you're talking <laughs> no, about.
2: Greg Howe. Okay. Uh,
1: mixed become obsessed, everyone, with Greg Howe. Great guitar oh, no, player. Joel's <laughs> the one who's obsessed. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so Hendrix... his experience formed, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Could have been anybody. Happened to be those two. Got it. But it worked. Cream was... Virtuoso musicians. It was. Clapton, Bruce, Mm -hmm. Baker, Mm -hmm. you know, the three gods of drums, bass, and guitar. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix was guitar, and Noel Redding had to keep the fuck out of his way. (laughs) Mitch Mitchell, I thought, did a brilliant job of keeping up. Yeah, exciting drummer, actually. I mean, John Bonham, for instance, I think would have been a disaster with Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in Mitch, he had a a really percussive sort of lead drummer. Mm. And I think what you don't need is someone like a ginger baker coming in and saying, well, I'm part of the mix here. <laughs> you know, I think you need to listen more we to need me. to feature the drums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me. I've got this thing called Toad, OK? <laughs> and, and Henry's like, hey, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. hey, man. Uh, like, uh, I'm uh, not sure that's going to work, man. Later, man. <laughs> hey, have this. Uh, it's called Owlsley. Yeah, you, you take that and lick that toad, we Ginger. Should, uh, we should actually
2: point out how much of Jimmy's music was incredibly mellow and sparse. As well as the sort of firestorm yeah. Of, yeah. Of, uh, yeah. of rock. Wind Cries Mary. Right, right. And if, you know, he played bass on Wind Cries Mary. Yeah, he, well, he played a bass, bass on, a, on well. a lot of
1: those tracks. In fact, you know, that goes into another point. At the time you get to Electric Ladyland, his mm. third album. Magnum opus. Double album. Final album released in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. He's playing loads of stuff on that. But he's also got Stevie Winwood. <laughs> he's also got Dave. Um, Dave. Dave, Dave Lombardo, Dave Grohl. The producer's saying something. Say it. Dave Mason, Dave Mason, Dave Mason. Of he's Traffic. Got, yeah, he's got uh, he's got Stevie Winwood. Yeah, he's got yeah. Dave Mason. Some of those uh, tracks that he was recording in, in New York at the record plant, Eddie Kramer, the producer, told yeah. me that they would set the stuff up in the studio in the evening because Jimmy would go out in the evening. <laughs> he said, but you knew about 2am when the bars closed. He said it was like a carnival. Hendrix would lead people... Down the street.
2: No. Do you want to come and have
1: a blow, man? He said, and you'd have to have all the stuff ready to go. You didn't know who he was going to turn up with, but you knew he would turn up and immediately want to jam. Oh, God, imagine witnessing that. And this is one of the reasons we have these enormous vaults of material. Yeah, yeah. The man never stopped playing. No. Except for when he was fucking And the man fucked a lot of women, Mm. a lot of chicks, as we said in those days. I mean, Mm. I'm actually writing a book about Hendrix for the uh, future. Cathy Etchingham was his London girlfriend. Yeah. His main squeeze. Yeah. Uh, Chaz Chandler lived on the top floor of a building in London with his girlfriend at the Mm. time, later his wife, I think. Jimmy and Cathy lived on the round yeah, four yeah. when they weren't fucking they were fighting mm. but Kathy really took good care of him I interviewed mm. her for the book wonderful mm. wonderful woman full of fantastic stories yeah, that's good. but of course Jimmy is Jimmy and he goes on the road mm. and well he doesn't even have to go on the road he sticks his head out the door there are women <laughs> everywhere
2: let's jump back to the time of the first album. are you experienced right was he already like that was
1: the profile that big oh yeah well he record well, records a single hey joe yeah that becomes a huge hit great song Well, his version is now the definitive version, but, of course, many versions exist. It's Mm -hmm. a very old song. And his first original song hit is Purple Haze, which is (laughs) the next single. Talk Talk about a one-two punch. And encapsulating the vibe of a generation, I guess. And then there comes the album, Are You Experienced? Mm. Which is a great title as well. It's wonderful. So that comes out. Edgy, actually. It's a progressive. Beautiful album. His second album, uh, for many people, is still his best. Axis. Axis Boulder's Love. Same yeah. year? 67. Same year, 67. Because in those days, that was what happened. I mean, Hendrix didn't book time at a studio to make an album. Mm-hmm. Hendrix went in whenever he wasn't doing anything else and made music. Who was he signed to? Track Records, which was um, a label put together by the Who's then managers, Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp. Yes. Part of Polydor. And it was a deal done, literally, mm, at the mm. bar at the speakeasy with Chaz, who mm-hmm. they'd known for donkeys. These are the days of... sign this on the yeah, back of a server. Yeah, envelope. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, when and, did the and experience become the uh, Band of Gypsies? They didn't become the Band of Gypsies. He shed the experience yeah, fairly meant, quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Billy Cox came back into the picture. Billy Cox, Buddy Miles... The whole crew of people, I mean, the famous footage of them at Woodstock, mm. Rainbow Bridge, that era. Mm. This was Hendrix, some have argued since, this was Hendrix sort of reclaiming his blackness. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And he made some amazing, I'm, I'm thinking of one track now, Freedom, which is so funky. Mm. yet such a powerful rock song. Yeah. And yes, it, it doesn't have that busy, percussive... Flurry and, yeah. and energy that Mitch Mitchell brought to the drums. It's yeah. much more f- funky, and heavy. at that point, Bonzo probably would have fitted in. Mm-hmm. The bass, uh, you know, Noel Redding was a white guy mm. who didn't play bass, mm. but did a nice job with Hendrix. Suddenly, you got a guy who can play bass oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and and really play and really keep up with Hendrix, actually. And you've got percussion and yeah, keyboards yeah. and anything else. that's a whole step and, up, uh, wasn't it? But commercially, yeah. it didn't fly. You know, it wasn't a huge hit. Mm -hmm. And these are the days before Zeppelin, Mm. before the Stones have really metamorphosed into an album band. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: The idea of a rock artist, pop artist, rock artist, having a career that lasted more than three years... Yeah was a huge gamble, unless Mm. you were the Beatles. Mm, mm. Well, they were running out of steam, right? They were gone by 1970. Mm, But mm. the point is, you know, Jeff Beck was in the Yardbirds, then he had his own group. Rod Stewart was in the Jeff Beck group, then he was in the Faces. You know, groups came together and split up all the time. Yeah. Like Cream. They only had, what, two, three years? Uh, Absolutely. And then Blind Faith, one album. Right. I've heard from various sources that Jimmy didn't like his own voice. Any truth? Eddie Kramer says Jimmy didn't like his own voice, Mm. which always surprised me because i love his voice God, it's a beautiful soulful it's, voice it's perfect isn't it really yeah but after eddie told me that i went back and listened to some of the early records and i guess what it is is jimmy's idea of a singer yeah don't forget the tradition he comes right. from where you've got some of the greatest yeah. singers the in soul, ever and the ever walk the town and stack stuff absolutely yeah, got, okay well so in context um, that makes sense and now you hear jimmy doing this almost kind of spoken word thing yeah hey joe where are you going It wasn't like, hey, it wasn't like Dio, was it? It wasn't, hey, Joey. I I can't think of a singer that
2: (laughs) that Jimmy was less like than Ronnie James Dio. He was a superb vocalist. He was a character singer. I wouldn't even say he was a bad singer. Maybe like Bob Dylan in that respect, you know, the man, or John Lennon. None of these people were amazing singers, but they had emotive voices that conveyed Uh, what they wanted to
1: say. And speaking of Bob Dylan, let's not forget, Hendrix Mm -hmm. was a supremely interpretive artist. Fuck. Dylan's songs, he made them his own, right? Even Bob Dylan said he made yeah. them his own. Yeah, well, when Dylan subsequently went on tour, he was mm. off, he didn't tour for many years. When he came back and toured with the band in the early 70s, yeah. when they did All, all Along the Watchtower, yeah. they did the Jimi Hendrix version. <laughs> I didn't know that. Not the acoustic version that Bob had recorded on John Wesley Harding. Good lord. Beautiful song. Mm. But Hendrix took that woodshed and turned it into a cathedral. Mm. And Bob utterly copied that in homage, because that was the definitive version. When, but, but also yeah. the way he sings it, you know, two riders a poor shit Oh,
2: you. God, the production as well. Like, when that song starts with the kind of echoey, amazing sort of
1: wash of those guitars, it just takes you away. What an evocative song. And Eddie Kramer deserves huge credit yeah. for being there to record all these things. Yeah. But the real credit has to be Jimmy, because Mm, mm. Eddie's a great producer, but I never heard anything he did after that that came close. But then I never heard any other rock artist do anything that came close. The point I'm making isn't to denigrate Eddie, who did a fantastic job, but to point out that the genius and the reason we love All Along the Watchtower is because of the way Jimi Hendrix breathed life into Mm,
2: it.
0: This is Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver.
2: Tell me about um, Electric Ladyland. Mm. We've talked about the other records, not particularly this one. I mean,
1: this is his landmark album. It is for me. As yeah. I say, for many people, Axis Boulder's Love is the definitive album because yeah. I guess it had a coherence, yeah. Yeah. an impact that it's very hard to better. Mm. What I loved about and still love about Electric Ladyland was that it was much more free form. Yeah it was closer to jazz if you like. Yeah. And it was also made in New York. You know, a lot of it was made in New York whereas the others were made in London. Has that amazing cover art which itself was a statement, right? Very 60s. Still amazing. Very 60s at a time of sexual liberation. Yeah. This yeah. is freedom. Mm. This is a whole new world we're talking about where hang-ups about women's breasts yeah. and all this business. Yeah, and yeah. at the same time, I'm sure in that sort of what we now characterise as the spinal mm. tap way, I'm sure Hendrix just thought, wow, it's really sexy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he was yeah, a really yeah. sexy guy. Yeah, didn't he get his, uh, he got his cock immortalised by Cynthia the plaster caster on with Well, Cynthia plaster cast uh, immortalized many people's cocks. But what was extraordinary about Jimmy's, uh, obviously, Mm -hmm. what was extraordinary about Jimmy's and mine was that, uh, no, what was extraordinary about Hendrix's, according to (laughs) Cynthia, (laughs) is that he maintained an erection. Ah, he stayed tumescent. Because uh, once you apply, you you have to sit there for like 40 minutes while it sets. And the big problem she always had was that no one could ever keep going that long. Because you can't even apply stimulus because you've got all this stuff around it. It's, Apparently, yeah, Jimmy, absolutely. not a problem. Managed to um stay standing. Well, you standing. bet. Oh, yeah. It's incredible, really. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think about 40 seconds I might have a problem with all that, <laughs> all that cold <laughs> crap all over the, the old chap. That's amazing. We'll have to try it sometime. Uh, live, live on air. Let's not. Right. So, I don't know what we were talking uh, about. You were saying that uh in a spinal tap way, he was like, man, this is sexy. Kobe.
1: Yeah, electric lady land. Oh, I mean, yeah. at the same time... You know, you have this idea of Jimmy had become friends with Miles Davis. In fact, he'd stolen Miles Davis's wife. Well, stolen is a Mm. terrible word. Mm. In the 60s, it would have been, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, me and your old lady. We're together now. Yeah. (laughs) That was Betty Davis. We're grooving. Betty Davis. Right, yeah, yeah. Betty loved Hendrix, turned Miles Davis onto Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, that was when Miles stopped wearing the suit and tie yeah, and started wearing the far out clothes.
2: Dude, we have to do Miles Davis at some point because well, we his, his electric era is just uh,
1: mesmerizing. Well, Miles was deeply influenced by the Hendrix experience, yeah, no pun intended, right, right. because I say it was this free form thing. Yeah, Live, yeah. we're talking complete improvisation, spontaneity, never the same two nights running. Betty introduces him to Jimmy. Miles introduces Jimmy to what Miles says is the best Coke dealer in town. (laughs) You must promise me you'll never buy your Coke from anybody else because this guy's the man, Mm, mm, mm. and Jimmy adhered to that. Jimmy, meanwhile, is completely absorbed by this jazz genius, and it's no coincidence on Electric Ladyland, you start getting these eight, nine, ten-minute tracks which don't seem to have a particular beginning, middle, or end. They just kind of happen. They flow, man. They flow. Miles actually decided he would try and form a band with Jimmy. Oh, my word. And uh, this was the beginning of what we now call jazz rock. Yeah. So Miles Davis has Tony Williams, a young, far-out drummer who, who ends up having his own band Lifetime. Uh, Hendrix is supposed to be part of it. Mm. But, of course, Hendrix was also not the most reliable guy. Mm -hmm. Did Jimmy say he would be here at seven on a Tuesday? (laughs) Why, it's Saturday at five and here he is. Oh, he's gone again. So, in the end, Miles drafted in John McLaughlin. Right, of course. Another masterful guitarist Mm -hmm. coming out of jazz Mm. but fully into rock. And that becomes the basis of... um, Bitches Brew. Bitches Brew, yeah, Dave Holland on uh, In a Silent Way. Yeah, yeah. All, all these incredible moments which yeah, are happening yeah. at the same time as Hendrix is doing Electric Ladyland, forming Band of Gypsies. Yeah, right. You know, you see it all coalescing into a certain pattern. Right, right. At this point in his career, was Hendrix coherent, functioning well? He wasn't off his face on acid all the time? I think he was pretty off his face most of the time. I mean, you know, he, it was a popular pursuit to um, spike him. You know, which was oh, right. something that went on a lot in the sixties. Horrendous thing to do. On the other hand, you know, Jimmy had something in common here with Bond Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the sort of the guy who tried everything. First, yeah, absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Give it here, man. Was he you into know. smack? Oh, I definitely would have tried it. Yeah, mm. I mean, all the great music. I mean, Miles Davis was a terrible Oof, junkie for many was, years. Not by the time he meets Hendrix. Right. Dylan was. Mm. Keith Richards. Mm. Eric Clapton. God. Eventually, later on, Jimmy Page and people like that. You mm, know, it, mm, this mm. is around a lot. Sure it is, yeah. Um, but for Hendrix, it was overload. Yeah. You know, acid was the big thing. No, but... he
2: wasn't, sorry to butt in, he was not, as so many of our previous subjects have done, he was not describing a slow, downward spiral into sort of darkness and doom. No. He was creatively, commercially, personally firing on all cylinders, right? Mm,
1: well... I think the man was in need of a rest. He was pretty yeah. torn and frayed by because the Because the management worked the fuck out of him? They worked the fuck out of him. Not only that, though, but they kind of tore apart his dream, you know? Mm-hmm. The band of gypsies dissolved. Mm-hmm. They, they tried to get the experience back together because that was the commercial ticket in the US. Yeah, You know, he yeah. ends up playing these god-awful festivals in was it Norway or yeah, in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Uli John Roth famously... Took his cue, as it were, from yeah. Hendrix in yeah. his own career. Told me that he was at that festival and one in Germany, and he mm. said uh, it was incredible. He said but Jimmy really did mm. look like not a not a ghost. That's too dramatic, but clearly was operating on fumes it's it's his last night. Right, flying on yeah fumes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So by the time you get to London, you've got yeah. this guy who isn't. Happy Bunny, Mm. but nevertheless, as long as he's still playing, you know, that's his get out of jail ticket. You know, that's his one true love. Yeah. Yeah. One of the people we haven't mentioned, which we should, looms like a dark shadow over this period because he was the main reason why the Band of Gypsies kind of didn't carry on because they weren't making the kind of dough that this guy wanted, which is Mike Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. Mike Jeffrey was another guy from The Animals who'd um rumored gangland links yeah. up in uh, Newcastle and the northeast where the animals were from this was never definitively proven or mm. remained Dep- rumors the yeah. thing about hendry there are so many yeah. Yeah. so many stories that people Deny, Mm. swear by, Mm. hard to Mm. verify because it was a long time ago Mm. and records just weren't kept. It was such a nefarious lifestyle. If he'd had Brian Epstein managing him, a lot of this stuff would have been a matter of record. But he didn't. He had Mike Jeffrey who flew by the seat of his pants, but Chaz brought in because Chaz wasn't an experienced record biz manager. He was a musician. Mm. And so he brought Mike in to handle... You know, the business. Yeah, yeah. But Mike uh, couldn't believe his luck when Hendrix just took off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. You know, they, we're not talking about, oh, uh, oh, they're like Pink Floyd. They've had this hit and they're going to do an album. You know, uh, it was, I've discovered the new Beatles. Yeah. You've really, really hit the jackpot here. This yeah. guy's extraordinary. And so Mike, as was the way in those days, particularly for someone like him, mm. Saw it entirely as a short-term proposition. Make mm. as much money as you can mm. while you can, mm. and if anything, a bit like Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis. The minute Hendrix started showing any sign of <laughs> moving beyond yeah. that very narrow ka-ching yeah. arrangement, Jeffrey yeah. did everything he could to stimulate. it. Did Jeffrey ever talk publicly about
2: this? You know, about trying to steer Hendrix's career insofar as you could.
1: Not to my knowledge, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was a deeply... He, this guy didn't give interviews. No, no, no. I mean, he was. He uh, eventually died in a plane crash. What, in the 80s? No, no, uh, early 70s. Mm. He died pretty soon after Jimmy died. Mm. And, of course, there are all these rumours that there Jeffrey be, was behind Hendrix's death.
2: <clears throat> well, we'll come to that. It's the biggest conspiracy theory of all, I guess, right? We'll come to that moment. Certainly one of them. OK, so we've talked about albums that came out in 67 and 68. Then you've got 1969 and then you've got 1970, which was, was the year he died.
1: Mm.
2: Where was he going in that last year, year and a half of his life?
1: Well, that's the $64 mm. billion dollar question. Mm. Mm. We can only surmise. The fact is he was making music every day, practically. Sure. Yeah. Recording, laying it down. We speculate. Sure, we do. And, yeah. and it's very hard to... No one knows, but yeah. my feeling, yeah. my feeling... Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. ...is, uh, you know, you look at his association with Miles Davis... Hendrix, in his own career and after he died, you know, his reputation was becoming as big as a Stockhausen, you know, was becoming as big as classical yeah. experimental composers. Yeah. He was definitely up there. I mean, Eddie Kramer told me that he believes Hendrix would have gone more into movie music, soundtrack music, and that may well have been the case. But right. for me, I think yeah. that's a kind of a cod way of saying instrumental evocative not three minute hit songs no
2: no I'm thinking of people like Stanley Clark, right who yeah. came from a jazz rock world and, and, yeah. and
1: you know ended up making incredible soundtracks well you, you could know. easily have seen Jimmy making an album with Stanley Clarke very very easily you know if, yeah. if the whole thing hadn't been so fucked up you yeah. could have I'm sure Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix would have made an album at some point How wouldn't that be amazing just a bit yeah everybody wanted to work with Jimmy everybody yeah. wanted to get a contact high yeah right um, put. And I think that uh, when it comes to Hendrix, because we talk about Beyond the Sky and the yeah. other side of the rainbow and that, it's very hard to g- say anything without sounding trite and punning. Sure. But you know, the sky was the limit; it yeah. really was. <laughs> yeah. And the whole thing about his death, we could do a whole podcast purely on the night he died. We could. But there are many, many conflicting stories. Some say it was drugs mm. he he got sick in his sleep, others talk of evidence of him being pumped with red wine. If there was a coroner's report, what did it say? Well, we mention coroner's reports a lot, don't we and We you do. know, you know I have Sadly, a very, we do I have a very low opinion of coroner's mm. reports. Mm. I don't know off the top of my head. Some will write in and let us know. But it, it was a typical misadventure. Aspiration
2: you know. of his vomit is a kind of known thing.
1: Asphyxation. Well, yeah. yeah. They
2: talk about aspirating your own right. vomit and asphyxiating on it. But what led to that, I guess, is the question.
1: Right? Well, there are people saying he was still alive when they got him to the hospital. There were people saying he was already dead. You know, Monica Dannemann, who was his girlfriend, and then eventually spent the rest of her life with Uli John Roth, yeah. was convinced... That you know it was a conspiracy to kill Jimmy by Mike Jeffrey. Right. So talk about that and now. A few years ago,
2: you were editing a Hendrix special for Classic Rock magazine, and you asked me to review a book written by James Tappy Wright, who had been one of Hendrix's roadies. And in uh, uh, Mr. Wright's book, he said very clearly that Jimmy had been murdered, uh, not, I believe, by Mike Jeffrey himself, but by his people. Mm by uh, pouring, I don't know, three bottles of red wine down his throat until mm. he vomited. Mm. I can't remember the exact details, but like maybe choking him while he vomited or just ensuring that he did not survive the vomiting. And
1: I think his assertion was because Jeffrey's had him insured for a lot of money. In order to uh, make a lot of money out of the
2: insurance money that he would get from Jimmy not fulfilling his uh, obligations as a touring artist. Right? I
1: think also he'd reconciled himself, if that's the word, to the mm. fact that Jimmy wasn't going to be doing his bidding anymore.
2: I mean, this is a huge
1: claim to make. Now, Mike Jeffrey was long dead when when this
2: book came out. Mm. James Wright himself has subsequently died. Mm. And he was very, very clear in his book. He said, this is what happened. Mm. I think he cited an eyewitness, whose name I can't remember. But he said, this is what happened. Jimmy was murdered for an insurance claim. Now... What do we do with that information, you know, all these years later?
1: Well, we do know that just a few months before that, Jimi Hendrix was kidnapped in New York. Tell us about that. Which, again, people attribute to Mike Jeffrey, mm. although this kidnapping was allegedly done by members of the Mafia, who it is said, some say, mm. on Mike Jeffrey's bidding. Now, yep. whether it was to scare the bejesus out of Jimmy, but shortly after that, he embarks on his experience tour i think it was gone for like three to five days something like that mm. and of course you know that the media coverage of such things are so minimal in those days compared yeah. to now yeah. you can't look out the window these days without it being all over social yes. media yeah. hendrix kidnapped for five days <laughs> but yes it happened mm. and yet yeah, freaked the shit out of everybody this is all proven and known yeah absolutely yeah okay mm-hmm. i didn't just make it up What? Stop looking at him. Wait, he's going to say something. Here we go.
2: So his stomach was pumped full of red wine, but he hadn't had time to metabolise it, which is
1: why there was none in his bloodstream. According to the surgeon, Dr. Bannister, he said that uh, Hendrix's body was full of red wine. His stomach was full of red wine. Absolutely overflowing with red wine. But... But the alcohol content in his blood was minimal. Right, so therefore... The wine cannot have been in his stomach very long right? before he died. Right. And he
2: stated that Jimmy must have drowned from this. Right. And, so, and Tappy claims that they shoved yeah. gallons Bottles of this stuff, stuff down his neck. Yeah. And it's consistent uh, with, with Tappy's claim. That's what
1: the surgeon thought. So maybe Jimmy was murdered. You know, maybe he was. I think people overlook or, or simply aren't aware of just how dodgy music biz and showbiz was oh
2: man. in I mean, the, the 60s. List of, the list
1: of monstrous managers goes on and on, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, an organised crime, particularly mm. in America, mm. uh, remains a feature, if truth be known, but particularly in those Wild yeah, West days yeah, yeah, where yeah. people aren't pulling out credit cards for tickets or mm. records, they're paying cash. Mm-hmm. And these are usually poor people making the records. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not smart cookies. Hendrix had been running around like the runt of the litter for most of his life. Now he's a big star. It could just disappear tomorrow, Mm, mm, you know. mm. And the way he was spending money and people were spending his money for him, I mean, Andrews never owned a house. Really? Never owned a house, never owned a, a car, you know. He, he would sleep on the floor or someone's spare room or he'd have an apartment briefly in New York with mm, some chick. Mm, mm, mm. Him and Cathy in London, I think, was the closest he ever got to domesticity. <laughs> and even that was, you yeah. know, a young couple uh, having a good time. Going back to the night of his death,
2: Monica discovered him, right? That's how the story goes. Lemmy maintained that she was at fault for not putting Jimmy in the recovery position. right. Which may or may not be relevant. God, God, Lemmy would know. Oh, Lemmy was... On uh, un- An unrelated note. Lemmy, the following day, was going to go and audition as uh, Hendrickson's bass player. Wow. <laughs>
1: what a fantastic that true? thing.
2: That's what Lemmy said said yeah, "Well
1: Lemmy was such a fibber
2: sometimes. You're
1: right, but he was Did saying you this. Did Jimmy know he was coming He was to saying it? this in the context of a very
2: sad story about Jimmy's death, so I imagine right. it wouldn't be the time right. to throw in a kind of a right. quip, you know what I mean? Right. You know, you were talking about these uh, terrible management, these people who you yeah. know, have people beaten up. Yeah. You know what blows my mind is, is co-writers who will sit down with them, work work with them on their books. Mm-hmm. I don't understand if people have the, the moral <laughs> interpitude to do that. Anyway, moving swiftly on from my friend Mick. All right, so Hendrix is gone. Uh, what was the reaction among the... Sorry, I think uh, that kind of passed me by there. Are you having a dig? No. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy! Asshole. Hendrix
1: died. Yeah. The reaction from the world at large? It's always reported that, you know, shockwaves, you know, sent around Exploded the world. Through the I don't know if they did. I mean, you look at the press cuttings and, and yes, it's a splash, particularly mm. as it's London, mm. but nothing compared to... Probably when Brian Jones died. I was just going to say Brian Jones, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it absolutely caused a shock. Mm. But we lived in times when, you know, I think Janice had gone. Sure. Jim Morrison was on the horizon. Mm. People died. Dead rock stars. Dead men can't sue.
2: Fantastic, Mick. All right. I mean, God, what a huge subject to try and squeeze in at 45 minutes. But we've had a shot with great affection. And uh, we normally, do we not, end these things by assigning a mark out of five stars for mm. our, uh, the subject at hand.
1: Mm. This oh, is going to be easy.
2: Well, I kind of think it is. We normally talk about the star quality, the influence, the taste for excess of these people. I mean, is there any
1: idea that this is going to be less than five stars? For these are Why all two? five. You know,
2: Jimi Hendrix, you know.
1: It's he, Jimi fucking Hendrix. He kind of wrote the rule book on taste for excess and what are the other ones? Uh, uh, he's, he's star, star quality. quality image. Know, his image, influence, legacy. No, no Hendrix, no us.
2: Wow, man. You're saying he's your father. You heard it here first. <laughs> death as a career move, right? And he's one of the 27 Club. I fucking hate that expression, but it, it kind of does make sense. 27 years old.
1: Well, he, he's, you know. he's kind of the exemplar of death as a career move <laughs> he because is. Yeah. the man released in his lifetime mm. three mm. albums. Yeah. And since then, there have probably been 300. Right. And some of them have been very good. Mm. A great many have been awful. Yeah, yeah. Not because he was awful, but because they were clearly cash-in. Should have stayed in the vault. But the fact is, you know, we're talking, I was going to say Che Guevara. You know, it's it's beyond that. Yeah. You know, I often mention James Dean. This is beyond that. Beyond just being a musician. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes beyond just the old uh, he died young thing. Mm. There's something Christ-like about Jimi Hendrix in musical terms because his message of love people talk about John Lennon's message which was also very important Jimi's I think though was more all embracing Mm. you know Lennon definitely knew who the baddies were Mm. I don't Mm. think Hendrix really knew who the baddies were (laughs) I think uh, I think he lined up with the the devils and the angels and I think they all worshipped him except for those ones that, that couldn't stand it and wanted to kill him beautiful man All right. Now, how do we get from
2: Jimi Hendrix to our next dead rock star?
1: Jimi Hendrix was a parachutist in the US Army, and such a skill could have saved our next (laughs) dead rock star's life. Nicely put. Like Hendrix, our next dead rock star mixed up blues, soul, hard rock, jazz and funky grooves... Mm. Chopped it all into a line and snorted it. Like a gumbo of music, according to Greg Allman, Hendrix was a big fan of the next artist's band, Mm -hmm. and like Hendrix, our next dead rock star enjoyed just four years in the spotlight before his untimely demise. There's a phrase you don't hear often.
2: Of. No, you don't. Well, everyone, thanks very much for listening. <laughs> share the heck out of this podcast, and we will see you next
1: week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That wasn't your usual Judas Priest-like Waffle. ending.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer.